Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Delusional. I've used it before on Nothing Personal. It's never been the word of the day. It's my word of the day today. Ever heard of a quarterback named Colin Kaepernick? Well, the XFL reached out to him. The actual commissioner of the XFL is the father of Andrew Luck, that guy who retired quarterback for the Colts. Kaepernick wanted an outrageous salary, having nothing to do with the salary scale. He felt that bringing himself to the XFL, he was above the game, and that he would make the XFL successful. So, hey, pay me more money. Guess what, Colin? You're not worthy of the extra money. Why don't you try being one of the guys, get back in pads, show everybody that you can still play, and then maybe, like everybody else in the XFL, you'd have a chance at the NFL. But now you get to keep playing the victim. We never know if you're going to be a good player because you won't put the pads on. There's no way you're getting paid more money. You're delusional. Why is it we all need scapegoats? I'm tired of it. Articles coming out every day now. Every time something bad happens, everyone needs a reason. You're sick. Your team loses. You have a bad day at work. There's extra traffic. Something and someone gets blamed at all times. The baseball sign-stealing scandal is no exception. Writers are in a frenzy. They're running around. They're looking for stories, looking for sources. And believe me, they're going to find them, and they have. Every day something new comes out. What's the news of today? The news is that Carlos Beltran, as a member of the 2017 Houston Astros, as a player, was really the driving force behind making the sign-stealing scandal and the program that had been written by the interns of the Astros implementing that program, coming up with the banging of the trash cans. And everyone in the Houston Clubhouse, players, managers, general managers, equipment managers, anybody, they were all afraid of Carlos Beltran. And we're writing to you as people in the media telling you, our loyal listeners and viewers, that that's how it goes. If someone who's a veteran in a major league clubhouse says that no matter what, we're going to keep running, we're going to be Thelma and Louise, we're jumping over the cliff. Come on, guys, we can do it. And by the way, come take my needle and give me steroids too. I've been in a clubhouse 18 years. That's not how it works. There is no doubt that veterans have a place in the clubhouse as it relates to seats on the bus, as it relates to seats on a plane, even seats in the dugout, even seats in the kitchen when there's eating food after a game. But veterans who are doing something like telling you how to steal signs, and as a younger player, you say to that veteran, I I have to do what you're saying. I've got to participate in the banging or else I will make Carlos Beltran unhappy and I'm just a rookie. A.J. Hinch says, I wasn't a real leader back in 2017. I couldn't stand up to my player. Hey, nice hire, Lunao. You have a manager who's saying he can't stand up to a veteran player? 
Is that where we are now with hiring all these analytics that they're only good in front of a screen when they can use their fingers? But when it comes to man to man, person to person, human to human contact and communication, they fail. I've got a better idea. Here's what actually happened in the Houston clubhouse. They were introduced to a concept called code breakers. In code breakers, you can find out what pitch is going to be thrown. It doesn't matter whether you're a rookie or a veteran. It's always nice to know if you're going to get the high hard one or if there's going to be some spin. And whether you're a rookie or a veteran, you're going to want that information. But now that you've been caught, now you get to say, I had no choice. I had to go with the sign stealing. I had to go with the banging of the trash can or following what the new signals were and how we were deciphering them because Carlos Beltran was doing it. And by the way, Carlos Beltran did it that one season, but never when he was on another team. Is that possible? I don't think so. I think the reality is that every team engages in sign stealing. Every team uses technology, and the players who have to come out and apologize now may want to apologize for the manner in which they did it, or maybe they want to apologize for the fact that they were caught. How come they're not apologizing for actually doing the sign stealing? Marwin Gonzalez, I have regret. I'm showing remorse. I've got remorse. I'm being contrite. That's a PR apology. That's the apology of a player no longer playing for the Houston Astros. I give you this story every day, and I'm trying to decipher all the articles that come out and all the new information, because right now, what is happening is everyone is in a frenzy. You're all getting angrier and angrier. You're saying that my team should have won the World Series. You're saying that the Astros are nothing but a bunch of cheaters. They're an asterisk waiting to happen. And then you take it down to another level and blame a specific player. And you say, my hatred or my anger is directed toward that player only. Well, sometimes you actually have to look inside yourself and say, what if it were my team? What if my team were doing something not completely, not completely following the rules? What if my pitcher uses Vaseline or some sort of foreign object under his hat or a salt or emery board to get more spin on the ball, to get a better grip? What happens if my favorite player or pitcher took performance-enhancing drugs in order to hit the extra home run or throw the extra five miles an hour? What happens when my favorite player is an absolute bully on the court and when he's on a different team, you hate him, but when he's on your team, you love him? I suggest that we take the time to examine what is going on, not just in the world of baseball, in the world of sports fandom in general. And what's going on in my mind is this desire and, and must that we have to keep digging and searching till we can properly, neatly, and tidily put a scapegoat in and end the conversation. That's when we can move on to the next crisis or the next story. And the reason why the sign stealing continues to be a story is we feel like we're getting drips and drabs. Death by a thousand cuts, I've been saying on shows on HQ and various other places. Why? Because that's what it feels like. There's a new player every day. There's a new epiphany every moment. Seems crazy to me. There, sometimes there aren't scapegoats. And that's okay. It's okay if we can't tidy up something. It doesn't mean you can't move on. And that's the advice we have to give to Jim Crane. Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, has actually gone public. And he has said that I'm getting ready. I know that our team reports, pitchers and catchers right now in Palm Beach, 
That's Florida. I know that there's going to be a lot of media attention. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the pitchers together. I'm going to get the catchers together. I'm going to get the position players to come early. We're going to sit in a room and we're going to have a meeting. And we're going to talk about how to handle the PR. Okay, Jim. Let me give you a suggestion because based on how things have been operated by your franchise in the past, I would argue that PR is probably not your strength. So let's have a clubhouse meeting right now. Just us. Just me, you. If you're listening, if you're watching, let's pretend we're with the Astros. Here's how it starts. Everyone's going to be sitting. People will be in their chairs, in their lockers. Some players will be sitting on the floor stretching. You'll have a ton of non-uniform personnel in the back where you'll have trainers and you'll have conditioning guys. You'll have assistant clubhouse managers. You'll have the chef. Everyone will be there. The doors will be closed. There'll be no media. It'll be in the main part of the clubhouse. That's where the most important meetings are. Everyone will know that the meeting will start at, let's say, 1130. Let's say 2 o'clock. Doesn't matter what time zone you're in. The time of the meeting is posted on a board in the clubhouse. It used to be in chalk. Now it's on a digital TV. So you see the meeting. Everyone's on time. But Jim Crane doesn't walk in. First, there's a count done, making sure that every player, every staff member, everyone is there. Then they close the door, then contact Jim Crane. Jim Crane walks in. He surveys the room. I'm now Jim Crane. I'm surveying the room. I'm looking around. Do I have a microphone? I don't use a microphone because my voice can carry, but in a clubhouse that's large, sometimes you do have a microphone, or you require it to be so quiet that you can hear a mouse take a tiny little step. You stand in the front of the room to make sure everyone can see you. You make eye contact with nobody to start. And you open it by saying this. Boys, they really got us, didn't they? Now I'm just kidding. We're not going to start it that way. That'd be a funny way to start it, wouldn't it? Here I am, Jim Crane. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate everyone reporting early on the the, uh, position player side. It's good to see everyone. It's nice to have everyone together. Obviously, we have to address what is happening. There is a national and international frenzy regarding not only our World Series championship, but there is a cloud over our franchise. Obviously, I had no intention of firing Jeff Lunau. I had no intention of having Dusty Baker in this room. As happy as I am to see you, Dusty, and this is before Dusty talks, by the way, as happy as I am to have you here, Mr. Click, as my general manager, I can tell you I did not expect this offseason. I want to make it very clear that what went on in 2017 is not acceptable from my point of view. I want this organization to be looked at as the model organization. I want this organization to win because we did everything better. We did everything better than everyone, not on the edges, not on the fringes, because we're smarter. And by what we did two years ago, we end up looking less smart than everyone from grade school on up. When the media comes in here, we have no choice but to do the following. And not only are the players going to do it who were here in 2017, every player in this room, we are going to have the exact same message. And the message is, we are very hopeful that we can move forward from the actions that we, the Houston Astros, undertook in 2017. 
We understand that by developing a system to steal signs and then violating the commissioner's memo for using technology to steal those signs, that we were not being fair. We believe that we have the best team in baseball in 2017, and there is no reason to think we would not have won the World Series. I have had the opportunity to speak to each of my teammates. That's if a player's talking. I've had the opportunity to speak to each of my players. That's if executives are talking. And I know there is no way that we can ever tell you for certain that anything we did or anything another team did causes a series to be won or lost. We win series because of pitching, because of defense, and because of offense. Our offense is not solely because we had access to what a pitcher was throwing from time to time. I understand the frenzy. I understand the moves that I had to make as owner of this team. If it's a player, I understand the moves that my owner had to make in firing Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch. But I will spend every season forward guaranteeing the fans and the people of Houston and fans of baseball around the world that I will do anything to rebuild the credibility of this organization because all that matters to me is that you see what I see by being here every day. You see what I see by doing the work that I do when the cameras aren't on, that I want it more than the other guy. I want to win more than anyone else. I work harder than everyone else. And if you wonder why I wasn't contrite enough, this is Altuve and Bregman, if you wonder why I wasn't contrite enough during FanFest, it's because my head, I, was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't take the time to think about the proper way to address my friends, family, teammates, organization, and the great people of Houston. Having had this opportunity to really digest what is happening around me, I'm able to perfectly and clearly articulate how sorry I am to have caused these issues. And before you ask, I can tell you that I have nothing but love for Mike Fires. This has nothing to do with Mike. This has nothing to do with any other player who has spoken out. This is about me speaking to you, the fans. Because when you're meeting the media, by the way, you don't speak to the media. You speak to the camera. You speak to the fans. Because the people in media in the old days, they couldn't record. They were feverishly taking notes in shorthand. And they were feverishly hoping that you don't get misquoted. Now they record you on every device they have. And so you actually, when you're ever addressing the media, you always pretend you're addressing your fans. So I want to say to all of you, my fans, that from this day forward, conversations stop about sign stealing and conversations start about what I will do to earn your trust back and what I will help this organization do to get back to what we've always been. We've always, we have stroven. Can you imagine the past tense of the verb to strive is totally befuddling me in the middle of an interview? I'm not sure a player would actually say that. That's me, David Sampson, saying that in the middle of nothing personal. I promise that we will strive every single day to rebuild the credibility that we've lost because we take it seriously. Any questions? With that statement, there is nowhere for the media to go. The media asks questions on behalf of the fans, they think but there is nowhere to go. I'm not tweeting anymore about it. I'm not doing anything on this subject. I'm moving on. And I'm definitely, don't forget what I said about Mike Fires. So if Jim Crane takes the time to actually do this with his players, he's got a small, minute chance of getting through this. 
I have got less than a 5% probability that that meeting with the players will go as well as this meeting went. And I've then got a less, fewer than 5% chance that the players will execute it in the way we say to execute it. There will be so much lost in translation that it will blow your mind. So now we get to wait to see what the result will be of Jim Crane's meeting with the full Houston Astros clubhouse. Ooh, we had another press conference. Do you know we used to, uh, when we had press conferences, we would talk about what we were going to wear. When they fired Alex Cora, Chaim Bloom, they were all in jackets, right? They had jackets and they were buttoned up and shirts. We would actually focus and think about these things. Are we going casual for this? Is this a business casual moment? Do I need a tie? Do I need a cravat if I'm going to announce the fact that we may be relocating the franchise? If I'm just firing a manager, can I do it in just a polo shirt? And if I'm hiring a manager, that's probably more of a casual, I'll put a blazer on, but definitely open shirt, maybe open an extra button to tell you that I'm perfectly relaxed. Well, Chaim Bloom introduced Ron Renneke as the interim manager, and it looks like he just got himself out of bed. He was in a shirt that he probably pulled out of his pocket from the night before. And it goes to show you that that's because the hiring of Ron Renneke, they're trying to make it not news at all. All of that managerial search that went on, all of those interviews they did, it was eyewash. It meant nothing. They were always hiring Ron Renneke. What was the twist that happened yesterday? It was a special one. I never thought of this. I love this. I wish I had thought of this when I was running a team. We are here to announce that Ron Renneke has been named interim manager of the Boston Red Sox. We will reevaluate that title after the investigation of Major League Baseball of our team has been announced. We have no reason to believe that he will be implicated in any way at all, but out of an abundance of respect for Commissioner Rob Manford, we've decided to put the interim tag on Ron Renneke. I can't really hear you through the camera, but are you laughing? Are you smirking? Have you learned anything from this show over the past several months? Give me a small break, like this big, bigger, this big. You're telling me that before they named Ron Renneke interim, they didn't go to the commissioner and ask whether Ron Renneke was going to be implicated in the investigation of the Red Sox by Major League Baseball? Of course they did. Are you telling me that Rob Manford didn't tell the Boston Red Sox, go ahead and hire Ron Renneke? But when we release our investigation and the results, you're going to find out that Ron Renneke was the centerpiece. He's the scapegoat. And then you're going to have to fire him. You may want to wear a blazer for the one when you fire your interim manager. Of course that didn't happen. It's completely preposterous. The Red Sox know that Ron Renke's not going to be implicated. Why do they put an interim tag on him? What would be the reason that you can think of where you want to have interim before a manager? Wait, hold on. Take a minute. Just a minute. We have time. We're not going to commercial for a while. Uh, yeah. Nope. There is none. You don't need an interim manager. You need a manager manager. There is no reason to walk into a clubhouse and put a label on your manager's interim. It creates a lack of continuity. It creates a lack of cohesiveness. It creates a lack of chemistry. 
Just name him your manager. And once the Red Sox finish in third place, losing 85 to 90 games, then you can just fire your manager. You don't get extra points by firing an interim manager. It doesn't not count on your resume as a chief baseball officer that your first manager was an interim manager versus a regular manager. It's a complete misuse. We had an interim manager once for a day because we couldn't get Jack McKeon on a plane fast enough. So we had Brandon Hyde be the interim for a day after we fired somebody and brought in McKeon. Who can remember who we fired? May have been Freddie Gonzalez. Can't remember. In any case... Interim, Red Sox, pointless. (laughs) Totally pointless. Okay, switching gears. We are, uh, we're reviewing a very difficult series today, and I am getting out of the baseball world and getting into the real world. This is a, a documentary series called The Pharmacist. This is a three-part, four-part series. It's about four hours of your time, maybe three or four hours. This is the story of an actual pharmacist whose son was murdered while buying drugs. He wasn't buying crack. He wasn't buying Coke. He wasn't buying pot. He was buying opioids. When opioids weren't to be found, they start buying heroin. This is the story of a young man who seemingly had a fine life, became an opioid addict. And then what happened after he died in a murder that could not be solved? There was no way to solve it. The police had no interest in solving this murder. Too many murders to solve, too many drug kids dying. It's not worth our time. There's no press in it. There's no promotions in it. So the father who's a pharmacist, took it upon himself to become an investigative reporter. This is sort of like Don't F Star Star K with Cats, where people tried to find out the cat video person. We reviewed that on an earlier episode. This is one man who tried to find the murderer of his son. He ends up finding the murderer of his son, but that's not really what the show's about. The show is about the opioid epidemic and the real-life implications of this epidemic. And what it is when there are doctors who are pill doctors who basically run pill mills and distribute opioids to people with reckless indifference toward whether or not they're addicts or not. That's too many knots. One knot, regardless whether they are addicts or not. What exactly is the oath of office you take when you become a doctor or a president or any job you have? A lawyer, let's say. When you're a doctor, your job is to heal, right? Your job is to help the sick, not make people sicker. Some doctors, unfortunately, have a pen and a pad and an MD next to their name, and they feel it's within their right to make as much money as they can by distributing drugs to people who drive across state lines, sometimes country lines, to go to these pill mills in order to feed the addiction. You may think that we've got a lot of problems in this country. The reason why the opioid problem is one of the greatest and is not talked about enough, is that there's so much money in it. There's money for the pharmaceutical companies, there's monies for the medical professionals, and we view the people who die as simply collateral damage. The pharmacist's son, collateral damage. An addict, he's dead. Nothing we can do, we're sorry. When you watch this four-hour episode, which I truly do hope you watch, please watch it from two perspectives. One, watch it from the perspective of a pharmaceutical company. 
two, watch it from the perspective of a parent, of someone who loses a son. And then recognize and ask what you would do if you had a company where you were depending on supporting your family and your company were doing something that was not only unethical, but cost people lives. You're all losing your minds because of trash can banging. You all lose your minds because of steroids or Pete Rose betting on baseball. Let's keep our eye on the ball, folks, and once in a while lose our minds for something that actually costs lives every single day. Yeah, your team didn't cover by five. Life will go on. You die from opioid addiction? Not so much. The pharmacist, worth your time. Thank you. Miles Garrett's back, and I'm going to give a slightly different take. It's been on HQ all day, and you're gonna, you, you've heard about it before you're listening to this pod. Miles Garrett is the guy who took his helmet, and uh, there was a quarterback named uh, Mason Rudolph for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Miles Garrett took his helmet in a fight, basically, and hit him over, hit, used, my, used Rudolph's helmet to hit Rudolph in the head. He got suspended indefinitely. He went to meet with football the Roger Goodell, the commissioner of football, two days ago. And today news comes out that he's been reinstated. And before I talk about why he should not have been reinstated, I want to talk about a new GM for the Cleveland Browns who had a statement written for him because as a brand new GM, I can only promise you one thing. He did not write his own statement. He may come out and say, I'm a brilliant scholar. I'm a PR genius. I promise you, promise. Andrew Berry did not write this. We welcome Miles back to our organization with open arms. We know he is grateful to be reinstated, eager to put the past behind him, and continue to evolve and grow as a leader. We look forward to having his strong, positive presence back as a teammate, player, and person in our community. Have you ever read a bunch of horse crap more than this? Ever? The fact that Andrew Berry had to put his name to this is a disgrace. It's embarrassing. We welcome him back with open arms. We know he's grateful to be reinstated. Where's the talk about what he did was wrong? You talk about the fact that he's evolving and growing as a leader. He wants to put the past behind him. Guess what? You don't get to do that. You don't get to use your helmet as a weapon and then say, ah, I served six games. I'm putting it behind me. Oh, yeah, I committed attempted murder, but the person didn't die. I'm putting the past behind me. You don't get that luxury. Miles Garrett should never have been reinstated this quickly. It's an insult. It's an insult to every single football fan. I don't care about the fans of Cleveland who are saying, yay, we've got him back. I'm not talking about you guys because you're not looking at it rationally. You're looking at it competitively. I get it. Let's look at this from a human standpoint. You assault someone with a helmet. You serve six games. Someone in the office at CBS Sports HQ, I don't know who it was. It could have been Andrew Bomber, who is here, a producer here, said that Tom Brady for Deflategate got four games. Am I right? Bomber. Four games for Tom Brady and six games for Miles Garrett. You take the air out of a football, you get 25% of a season. You attack someone with a helmet, but someone said, wait a minute, he didn't connect fully. He sort of missed. Do you know when you go in front of a judge for attempted murder, you don't get to say, hey, look, I missed. My aim was bad. I'm innocent. 
I'm beyond angry about this, as maybe you can tell. Because when you write statements for a new GM, and you're trying to communicate and actually make a point, and you're Roger Goodell of the NFL, you don't let the Browns come out with a statement like this on Miles Garrett's reinstatement. You have to come out by saying what he did was wrong. He served his time. He was punished for what he did. We will help him move forward, but we're going to work on anger management to start with. To finish with, we're going to make sure that every player we have in this organization will reflect the Cleveland organization in a far better way than Miles Garrett did. Didn't happen that way, though. (laughs) The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text Hope NY. That's 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, on a lighter note, so you want to talk to Samson. This is a good one. Thank you so much. People following me on Twitter, uh, thank you. When you submit questions on DM me with questions, you come up with some great ones. And during, I try to do it every show. Sometimes I get carried away and we can't get to it. But it's called So You Want to Talk to Samson. And someone asked me to actually talk about what's going on with Theo Epstein and Joe Madden. Now, if you don't know who they are, don't stop listening and watching the pod. I need your attention rate. I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm not. I love when you listen to the whole show. Do you listen to the picks? I hope that you only follow the winning ones. In any case, Theo is the president of baseball operations for the Cubs, and Joe is the World Series winning manager of the Chicago Cubs. He was the manager for five years. Four of them, they made the playoffs. At the end of last year, Joe did not have his contract renewed. We were very careful how we had to say that in the media. His contract was not renewed. Guess what? He was fired. That's how it works. The only difference is there's no severance when your contract is up. But there was something bubbling, and if you watched CBS Sports HQ, which you should do every day, if you listen to this show, which I hope you do every day, 
You've heard me talk about the Theo and Joe relationship and how I knew during last season that no matter what happened with the Cubs, short of winning the World Series, Joe was gone. You could tell as an insider that there was a relationship problem from the things Theo was saying publicly. I knew what he was really saying. I understood what was going on behind the scenes. I knew that Joe's act had worn thin in Theo's mind. And in Joe's mind, his act never wears thin. What I said to you when Joe was hired, he's really good. Joe Madden is a little bit like Larry Brown. Do you guys know who Larry Brown is? Larry Brown is one of the greatest coaches in NBA history. He's like a cleaner. He's like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. He's the wolf. You come in when you've got a clean brain guts off the back of a car. You come in when you need to find someone to get a car disappeared. Fix everything, and then he speeds off. That's what Joe Madden is. He came into the Cubs organization and won them a World Series. He's a permanent hero, a Hall of Fame manager. But Joe Madden does it his way. You don't like the way Wolf does it? Guess what? Then you're going to get caught and you're never going to succeed. But once you succeed, all of a sudden, the tarnish wears off a little bit. Egos start to grow. And this is a classic case of ego meeting ego. Do you remember when Theo left the Boston Red Sox? Do you remember the ego that Theo had that he left in a monkey suit so he wouldn't be recognized? Wink, wink. He was having a battle, a battle with then-team president, Larry Lachino. Battle Royale, like The Rock's daughter in WWE. It was smash em up use chairs type of stuff. Guess who wins those? Team presidents. Guess what happens when the president of baseball ops has an ego battle with a manager? Guess who wins? The president of baseball ops. There was no way that Theo was going to lose a power struggle with Joe because the World Series had already been won and the tarnish had come off. But now they're giving back and forth quotes, pretending to show love. They're pretending that everything's great in their relationship. And the irony is that everything's not great. And what I would prefer, instead of saying things as though I love Joe, I'm not going to say anything bad about Joe. Joe's saying, I know how much my relationship with Theo matters. I'm not going to say anything about Theo. But then they say things like this. Epstein told Madden he needed to change his style after the 2018 season has been reported. And then he says, I, this is Theo talking, right? His approach was more that things will work themselves out. These are great players. Let them play. Things will work out, Theo said. But from my perspective, there was a little bit more cause for concern. We talked about this. Remember, the players weren't doing the little things for the Cubs to win. They thought they could turn it on like that. That was a snap if the camera didn't pick it up or the microphone. They could just pick it up and start winning immediately. Well, it didn't happen for the Cubs. And Joe Madden, the way he is, he's calm, he's cool, he's loose. Everything's loosey-goosey. But it led to a little few base running mistakes. It led to a little subpar effort. And when you're not winning a World Series or making the playoffs, that is way of managing becomes intolerable for a president of baseball operations. So Theo made it very clear to Joe that he was going to move on because he tried to change Joe. And you can't change Joe because Joe is who Joe is. And he now brought his show on the road to the Angels.
It's always fun to me when I see people, employees, friends, when I see them going back and forth because the truth of the matter is they never liked each other. They're going to claim they were best friends because when you're winning World Series, of course you're best friends and hugging. But you think these guys traveled as a foursome with their significant others if they have or if they went away, the two of them on the road, they stayed up late talking by the campfire, talking about philosophies. They had a coexisting relationship that was based on winning and the fact that they were trying to both, both etch themselves in the Hall of Fame, which they likely did by winning the Cubs World Series. But the minute they got fitted for rings was when the plot started for Joe to leave. And it worked. Let's see how it works with Billy Epler, the GM of the Angels. Okay. Um, players have to stop. I'm, I'm asking. I'm really asking players to stop with these tweets. I get it. You have Twitter. I get it. You're blue checked. Believe me, that's a fun thing to be blue checked. Yesterday, we covered an entire topic. We have to revisit it just for a moment. And the topic was very simple, that uh, there's going to be expanded playoffs in MLB. And it's possible there'll be a live show where we're going to have opponents pick opponents. But the fact is we're going to have more teams in the playoffs. I'm good with that. I told you I was good with that. We talked about Trevor Bauer and his insane tweet. Can we talk about Trevor Bauer's YouTube video? Take a look at his YouTube video right now. No, no, it's not yet. In 9 minutes and 48 seconds... Could you please go to YouTube and look at Trevor Bauer and listen to the things he says? Literally, he should be on a watch list. It was insanity. I was worried about him. If I'm the GM of the Astros, I'm actually, of the Astros, of the Reds, I'm actually contacting him now that he's reporting for spring training just to make sure he's okay. Because he certainly didn't look okay. Alex Wood. Pitcher, Dodgers, I quote, Buster Olney wrote, another thing about the proposed playoff changes, they'll give a better shot for small market teams to participate in October, offsetting some of the obvious dollar disparity. Buster Olney is 100% correct. That is exactly accurate. Alex Wood responds, the Royals just sold for $1 billion. He put it in caps. Can you see that? When you're listening on the pod or watching Billion, he put it in caps. The Royals just sold for $1 billion. There is no dollar disparity. There are rich teams and there are really rich teams. All are capable to sign and field great rosters, yet choose not to. Cheap teams shouldn't be rewarded with the playoffs if they don't spend. All right, Alex, here's where I'm starting. Um, just how does Tampa do in Oakland? How do they do? Are they in the playoffs? Has Oakland been in the playoffs maybe 10 out of the last 20 years, maybe? How about Tampa? Lowest payroll in the game. Are they doing well? Yeah. All right. So what's the correlation between payroll and winning? What are the Red Sox going to do with the $200 million payroll this year? No? Okay. Let me ask you another thing. The Royals sold for $1 billion. Do you know that for a fact? Do you know what enterprise value is versus equity value? Alex, do you know what debt is? Do you know that just because, let's pretend, Alex, let me speak it in words that you may understand. 
And I'm not being personal. I'm merely telling you that when you tweet that, you have no idea what you're talking about. Let's put it in terms of homes. Let's say you own a house and you bought it for $250,000. And then you went to a bank and you borrowed $200,000. So you put $50,000 of your own money in it. Then you borrowed $200,000 and bought the house for $250,000. You live in the house for a few years. Are you with me, Alex? You live in the house for a few years. You sell the house for $500,000. Does that mean you have $500,000 in your pocket? Are you sure? Really? Do you have to pay back the person who you borrowed the $200,000 from? Yes. Do you have to pay taxes on the increase in value from two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand? Yes. So when a team sells for a billion dollars or a house sells for five hundred thousand dollars, that's called an enterprise value. From that number, you subtract taxes, you subtract initial investment, and you subtract all debt. From that, you then get an amount. Just because you sell a team for a billion does not mean that the owner of the Rays, of the Rays, of the Royals, or any team actually walks away with a billion dollars. Now let's go to the second part. All teams are capable to sign and field great rosters. You're right about that. No question. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with talent. And I'm talking on the scouting side. Sometimes on the analytics side. All teams have an opportunity. True. Some teams choose not to. Let's talk about that. Are you saying that some teams choose not to sign the best players available? Oh, right. You mean like everyone in your division because you win the division every year because your team has by far and away the most money and the most opportunity to win and does? And therefore, why would I spend money upon money upon money to compete for a division I have no chance to win while you're in your window of winning with the Los Angeles Dodgers? That makes no business sense at all. I should definitely throw money at players for the right to have a chance to not play in October and earn extra revenue. I should definitely sign more players in order to win an extra three games to only lose the division by 12 instead of nine games and not have a chance to have any incremental revenue that matters. And you're saying, wait a minute, competitive teams get more revenue. Ah, not true. You get more revenue when there's a chance for that team to play in October. If I told you that you were going to win 100 games, but you had no chance to make the playoffs, you think you're getting increased revenue, more TV revenue, more gate revenue, just because you're going to win 100 games? No. If I told you you're going to win 30 games, you're going to go 30 and 130, but you've got a chance to play in the postseason, I'm watching that team. I'm committed to that team because I've got a chance when it counts. I've got a chance to be the best. I'm tired of athletes coming out with these tweets. I really am. And executives. It's not just about players. I just want you to have facts. Pick of the day. This is a heart bet. I'm tired of betting with my head. I don't understand how the Rockets pulled away. We were in position in a game, a two-point game at the end. I'm staying up late. I'm annoyed. I'm excited. We're going to win. And the Rockets go on like a 75-0 to run. And it didn't work out for us. I like the Knicks actually giving three to the Wizards. The Knicks have won a few games. There's a whole thing going on with their coach, Mike Miller, and the whole thing with Jeff Van Gundy. 
all of it means nothing. The reason why I think I'll get back to 500 at 13 and 13 is I know the Wizards are a worse team without Ernie Grunfeld. This is a call out to you, Ernie. Ernie Grunfeld is the former president of the Wizards, GM. Ernie Grunfeld, former player with the Knicks, player with the Bucks. Ernie Grunfeld taught me how to shoot free throws when I was a kid in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and in New York. He taught me. I shot free throws like Ernie Grunfeld with that sort of mid-waist bend. He is an amazing man, and I am rooting against the Wizards for every moment after they got rid of Ernie. And tonight is a perfect opportunity with the Knicks only giving three. Is this a heart bet versus a head bet? Yeah, I guess it is. I'm okay with it. Okay, at the end now, we have a few minutes to do our wait to see. As you know, our wait to sees are uh, where we talk about accountability, where I tell you something's going to happen, and then we wait to see. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. The Los Angeles Angels made an announcement that made me laugh yesterday. They said that we are not going to have Shohei Otani pitch until the middle of May. Why would they say that Otani is going to hold off? Remember, he missed all of last season with Tommy John as a pitcher, but he DH'd for a while. He hit 18 home runs. He hit like 280. I think he played, I can't remember the number of games he played. Coca, did he play 100 games? Coca, there's so few minutes left in the show that his head is already out the door. He had no idea I was going to ask him how many games Shohei Otani played last year. But I am, and he's Googling it, and I still have 12 seconds where you can give me the answer, and it can maintain as part of this segment. 106 games he played, all DHing. Thank you, Matthew. Then, sits out 19, doesn't pitch, 20 comes. The way it works with Tommy John is the first season back, it's a struggle in the beginning. The first four or five starts, you're sort of getting your velocity back. You're getting the feel back. Simulated games don't matter. Pitching in spring training doesn't matter. Pitching bullpens don't matter. You have to get in real life, real game situations. That's when you really test your arm, see how it's feeling. There's no way you declare full health until you're in a real game situation. On top of that, the reason the Angels are waiting till mid-May is Shohei Otani will be on an innings limit, and they want to make sure that he is available in October because the Angels believe with the signing of Rendon, the hiring of Madden, and their absolutely stellar rotation led by Julio Tehran, their one-year pickup, who has gotten rid of by the Braves, might I add, along with Andrew Heaney and some other gents, are enough to get them playing into October. So they want Otani to be available. Here's my wait to see. If the Angels wake up, if I'm president of the Angels, and we're going through April, and we've got Otani that we think we're going to start him in the middle of May, but I notice that, hey, we're five games under 500 in April. We're already losing track of people in the division. I don't like the way the team looks. Rendon hasn't started to hit yet. He's adjusting to the new league, adjusting to a new team. I'm moving Otani up. He will pitch by May 1st. They will give him the ball. Because it's not as though they actually care about anything but being in October, which is great. Because if you're in October and you're the Angels, you have adhered to the one piece of advice that I'll give you. Hey, Shohei, get on the mound. Because for us, it's business. And for you, it's nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.